Before we start the show, I just wanted to reach out and say that if you are loving listening to The Truth Prescription as much as we are loving making it, please subscribe to the podcast. Hit that subscribe button. Rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and iHeartRadio, to name a few. And come check us out at www.thetruthprescription.com to get more insights and info, because the truth will set you free if you let it. Everything I've made so far was made under the guise of it probably is not going to do well. So let me plan my next trick, you know, to see if I can still survive. I was fight or flight. It's the difference between I am and am I. Am I with a question mark versus I am with an exclamation point. That's one of the hardest things to deal with simply because it's like, how do you not feel vulnerable when you believe in something? And we're so busy trying to protect ourselves that sometimes, I don't know, it's a scary feeling to be that vulnerable in front of a lot of people. Gentlemen and ladies, brothers and sisters, people, whoever you are and wherever you are, welcome to the Truth Prescription Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Sekou Gathers, and each week I interview successful people from around the world and discuss how accepting the truth can propel your career and help you live a life of gusto and purpose. No mantras, no gimmicks, just the truth. So close your eyes and open your ears, and let's get into this. Come on. You mentioned once that you know, black entertainers that they kind of go in these four, we'll call them tropes, right? You mm-hmm. got the gangster guy, right? Oh, yeah. Then you got the mangdingo. That's right. the second one, like the hyper, hypersexualized guy mm-hmm. or girl. Mm-hmm. Then you got the sort of ambiguous, safe, apolitical, like no opinion a-political, guy. Apolitical, asexual, a, right. you know. A like, something. You're, you're just, just in the middle. Right. <laughs> right. You gray. You're right. not black. You're not white. You gray. Right. And then number four, something you you described as sort of, sort of like the primitive exotic, you know, like this new minstrel show kind neo, of thing. Neo-minstrel. Neo-minstrel thing. Yeah, right. Your thing is you want folks to be seen as normal, right? That even though we may have these gifts that we're all, right. you know, on, on that human level. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, people don't see you as regular, you know, right right or wrong. You know, they, I, they I don't. Knew, I knew instantly. Here's, here's the thing. My manager told me, he says, um. You're going to win because people are going to instantly see you as primitive exotic. And I was like, well, what do you mean? He's like, well, there's an excitement that certain white people get where, and all right, we tested this theory once on uh, television producer Norman Lear. Oh, yeah. And no, it's, it's all in the family, right? Yeah. And he do a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Right. So, you know, both, both Rich and I sort of knew early our way in the door, which is basically like, if you just look at our exterior especially if you have no clue of who we are, what we are. Like our, our exterior says something else. Like you see a 400 pound Afro guy. Rich was like a very, he looked like Nipsey actor, Nipsey Russell, very dark. His exterior was very rough and and he had these dreadlocks. Like he's, he's the guy you think of the the white person that thinks like the black rapist is from prison. Like that's what he looks like. Mm. But when we both talk, it's almost like, Wait a minute. Where, where this uh, this Harvard Dictionary uh, voice come from? I mean, now people are used to it now because I've been here for twenty five years. But back in ninety four, like when I started talking, like most journalists were like, "Whoa, forgive me. I 
I just never knew you were so intelligent. This this is amazing. Like you're so Thanks. articulate and so yeah, it's an insult now. Like <laughs> it's, it's such an insult. But it's it's you know to them it was sort of like in their mind there was like okay rapper, black guy, okay, and then I started talking. They was like, wait a minute, we never seen a rapper with like a, a point of view before of politics and that. and so. You know, at first I was like insulted, like, yo, man, I'm tired of these journalists telling me how like articulate I am and all this. And he's like, yo, dog, he's like, take advantage of it. Right. So they're they're gonna they're gonna underestimate you every time you come in the door. So you gotta show that. So we used to I used to, especially like the first five years, like I would mark I would territorial piss mark my territory by always trying to be the smartest guy in the room. The smartest guy in the room, that sort of thing. And then I mean that got exhausting. But right. For me, at least, and it's weird, it, especially with now, last year during quarantine, I probably, probably connected with every A-list artist I've ever worshipped because, you know, everyone's home and has nothing to do. Mm-hmm. So now it's like I'm having these like gargantuan long conversations with it's just name the A-list person like, oh, wow. And the thing is, is that they didn't know how to explain it either. And to them, I told them that, that even though people think it's like a compliment when they say like, like Stevie Wonder, you have these amazing gifts and you know, you're just supernatural. Like, it seems like a compliment, but that's not a compliment either. I mean, it's nice to say that it's from a worship level that you mind this person's gift, but what it also says is sort of like, you're not human. Like I am. Right. Exactly. Right. And like right. you're supernatural, right. but then you know you can look at a, a person like who's who's maligned and uh, oh like OJ Simpson, like oh you you're an animal that right. sort of thing, right? So it's either subhuman or superhuman, and right. I think that's that's exactly. your thing. You know, you really want us to be on on not really want us, but you want people to see you on a level. And I think my question was kind of going towards if we just look at it objectively. I think, and I teach my clients everybody has a gift, right? Mm-hmm. Some people's gifts are just you know on front on on center stage. What makes Amir great? What makes you, what is it that you do that's great? I mean, again, we all have gifts. What is your gift? What makes you great? Well, if you're talking to me now uh, in 2020. 2021. The number one thing (laughs) is that I actually have to believe I'm great. Mm. And that shit Mm. is the hard, Mm. out of any, out of any truth in the world, as far as like my evolving and stuff. Yep. One of the hardest things, one of the most cringeworthy things is like admitting like you're worthy or you're a leader. Like everything I do is like, I'd I'd rather just dip my toe in the water. You know, like you go to the beach and like Mm -hmm. people just run blindly like, Oh, I'm running this. I was never that guy. I was always like dip, dip, dip. Nope. Mm -mm. Back to the, (laughs) and that's always been me. And so really just getting to the core of, I, I started reading um, kind of my go-to, my go-to person during quarantine was a gentleman named uh, Dr. Joe Dispenza, who, are you familiar with his story at all? No. All right. So Dr. Joe Dispenza was sort of in the running for disgrace cyclist. One testicle. I hate oh, saying that. Um, Lance Armstrong. Lance Armstrong. I'm sorry. Disgrace. <laughs> one, one testicle. testicle. <laughs> <laughs> he had two at one point. Larry. <laughs> Testicular cancer guy. Right. Yes. Sorry. Lance I, I hate saying that. I just want to say like yellow. Uh, we be oh, real. Hold on a second. With Dr. Joe Dispenza 
and I hate that I only think of yellow cyclist <laughs> scandal, <laughs> one testicle. Dispenza himself, he he was um, training to be a, a cyclist, a, a world, a, you know, world champion cyclist. He's training in Los Angeles or somewhere in California, and he gets hit by he gets hit by a truck. Sheesh. And on a road bike, on a road bicycle, on a road bike, yeah. Wow. He gets hit by a truck. Sheesh. He's either facing being a paraplegic or a quadriplegic. So he's lying in the hospital, and I guess. You know, he had a conversation with himself. Like, this is a guy who's been, like, active his whole life in sports and using his body and that sort of thing. And that's all he ever knew. And he lied there in bed and was just like, man, I don't know if this is my moment with God or whoever. But if there's any way I could not be in this predicament, I promise you that if I get out of this thing, I'll change people's lives by telling them about this miracle or whatever. Like, just let me have my arms and legs again. Mm. Two months later, the doctors came in gobsmacked, like, uh, something happened. Can you move your muscles? And he literally just got out of bed and started walking, ran in the hallways, everything. <laughs> and, wow. you know, the doctors, of course, you know, the, the, the Western medicine and Eastern medicine and sort of like uh, metaphysical theories or whatnot, like the three of them never meet at the same time. And usually with mess, I'm sure you've seen it as a doctor yourself. Yeah. They just said, you know, sometimes we just say this is an act of God and we can't explain it. But, you know, there's no diagnosis. We acknowledge that, yes, yesterday you had this, this, that, this, that, this, that, and the other with your spine. Da, 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 da. And now it's 7 a.m. and we're in here and you're literally in fine health as you were. And Joe kept his promise. He said, he was like, okay, I'm no longer a cyclist. I'm going to go to medical school. What he wanted to know was what happened in his brain that told his body, okay, we're going to heal you. Yeah. That's what he wanted to know. Yeah. And so he basically, you know, before then, as with me, like the idea of placebo syndrome was sort of like, kind of like a seen as a, a fake thing or, or a joke. Like here, try this, uh, this, Children sugar, sugar pill. Yeah. yeah, try this pill and then uh, you'll be healed and that sort of thing. And it's almost like placebo syndrome is, is, is sort of a code word for like fraud or that sort of thing. But what he was explaining was that no, placebo syndrome is actually what keeps us operational to the point where it's like, if I believe that these two Advil are going to take my headache away. Like it's just it's just a it's a belief system so one hundred percent that it actually manifests itself. Mm-hmm. Dispenza was basically all of his books sort of are on the level of teaching you how to reprogram your mind, your thinking. He teaches you how to reprogram your mind, and I'm you know probably one of the worst pieces of advice. You know, I'll say that Rich has taught me everything creatively. That I need to know. I mean, to the point where even on Rich's deathbed, you know, he wrote my 25 year manifesto. Like, even on his deathbed, he couldn't communicate. He, he had the worst case of leukemia, but he could still type and his brain worked. Huh. And he typed out a 40 page Amir manifesto. Okay, you're going to write this book. Da, 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 da. Like, I'm, I'm literally, wow. like, everything that you see me doing is more like going down Rich's bucket list of. And we're almost ahead of it. Like there's like maybe six things left 
And his thing was like, okay, if you're still broke by the age of 70, this is your fault. But when I die and you follow this to the, to the T, you should be cool for the next 35 years of your life. So that's how like brilliant Rich was. But I guess in order to, to protect us and to keep us from drugs <laughs> was sort of like, he explained from the gate that you guys are a different type of group. You're not uh, a commercial type of group. Mm-hmm. And so any expectations you have of having this, uh, this kind of ticker tape parade celebration, what he calls like the Bentley moment. Yeah. You know, any thoughts of you guys having shiny, shiny suit moment. Yeah. Like having champagne and spilling them all over video models and like right. make it a rain. That. It's like, we're not that type of group. And you know, we're, we're 20 year olds growing up in the age of hype Williams. So of course, like we're looking at these videos, like wondering like, damn, when's my slow motion walk moment? And <laughs> you know, where's Kareem Superhead Stevens at? And, you know, like we're looking at those things. <laughs> slight, slight tidbit. Uh, my girlfriend actually discovered Kareem. Oh, really? <laughs> she was a video commissioner for uh, Jive Records back in the day. So, hilarious. Yeah, she uh, put a shaky ass she video dis- for Mr. She discovered her did- and then she discovered the industry. Right, exactly. The industry, oh, the industry discovered her. Her, yeah, exactly. her skill. Right. Anyway, so maybe I just took it to heart that prepare yourself. I think Rich was more or less like always be prepared for a pivot because if this plan doesn't work, then you got to have another plan. I think maybe I just filtered that as, okay, everything you're going to do is going to be a fail and always prepare for the worst. And so that's where I live my life where I never, I never made a record thought like, I aim for the best, like, especially in the early days of like watching Kanye. I used to laugh at Kanye, like mm. oh, the arrogance of this guy. Like, yeah. you really think, you really think that's the greatest shit ever. This is the most mediocre shit I've ever heard about. Like, and, but he just owned that confidence. And, oh yeah. His belief was strong. Right. And I he, was like, even if it was crazy, it was strong. Right. And the thing was, I'd be in the room snark and I'm like, the nerve of you, like, you're so mediocre, but you're trying to, you're trying to convince me to think this is the greatest thing ever. And that, that, like that was just his my, lyrics or, or music. Well, I mean, t- this is early Kanye, yeah. you know, and th- that's the thing. Like he it's I wish I could possibly and this is this is very carefully worded. I, I would like to and he's doing a documentary uh, right now on his on his life. So I, I kind of want to know in those early years, because those early years where he was hanging around a lot and we would just think he's crazy. Like, uh, here he comes again. <laughs> trying to sell us an established platinum Mac on how to do things. And he, right. And he doesn't even have like cab fare to, to get <laughs> back to Jersey. How's this guy going to tell me how to do my life and that sort of thing. But he always, to his credit, he always presented whatever his product was to the world with the utmost confidence of this is a winner. Yeah. And I was the opposite, even with this movie, mm. everything I've made so far, was made under the guise of, oh, oh, this does well. It probably is not going to do well. So let me plan my next trick, you know, to see if I can still survive. I was fight or flight. Yeah. And I never thought, like, this is the first time that I've released a product where I'm actually owning, like, hey, it is good. And that sort of thing, which is a weird feeling to have. Like, I never, I had to tell myself and once you tell yourself and once you really believe, believe it, it, 
Yes. And that's yeah. the and thing. And feel it. That's the other part. You feel have to it. internalize it. Yes. Yes. You have to believe and in, in, internalize it. Not in that. It's the difference between I am and am I. You know, pre-pandemic, I was, I am? I am. I am. Yeah, I am. You, you think so? I am. <laughs> and now I got to be, I am. Like, right. am I with a question mark versus I am with an exclamation point. That's one of the hardest things to deal with simply because it's like, how do you not feel vulnerable when you believe in something? And we're so busy trying to protect ourselves that all the time that, you know, sometimes uh, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a scary feeling to be that vulnerable in front of uh, a lot of people in front of the world. Right. Exactly. In terms exactly. of that platform. Great, great answer, man. It's about, it's about belief. You can have all the tools, all the gifts, but if you don't, believe it then you're either going to sabotage yourself or you're going to enter the party sort of lukewarm right yeah so um, I'm, I'm 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 encouraging people yeah. now there's an exercise that someone told me to do which is basically like every sunday i have to write like a 50 point manifesto of what i want for my life and you does know it change sunday to sunday so in the very beginning i'll say like in maybe the first month or so I would have to share this list with, with the person mm-hmm. and you know, maybe the first month or so she looked at me like, this is bullshit. You don't mean this. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, no, I do. And she's like, I know you don't mean it because you didn't even start wishing things for yourself until like number 37. Like you're still in that mode of people pleasing and well, I want my mom to end And then I want to make sure that, uh, you know, my, oh, make sure Jimmy Fallon's happy about that. Nah, 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 and make sure, nah, nah. like, all my points were, she's like, all your points from one to 37 was for other people. Like, you want them happy. But you didn't even start with, I would like. You didn't even start that sentence until number 38. So she's like, Try do, it, do it again. Right. And we started hitting a wall, like, maybe by the third month. That's what and I told her, I told her, like, well, this feels silly. Like, what am I going to say? Like, uh. I wish for a, a pair of Jordans that fit me or the, that sort of thing. Like, what, what do you want me to say? She's like, yeah, I, w- I want you to get primitive and really speak what's in your heart. And the reason why you feel sort of uh, tepid and nervous to even talk about things you want for yourself is because you're programmed to not think you're worthy of these things. Most black people, you know, like we'll look at white people, with, especially with the word entitlement. And kind of with a, hmm, that must be nice. Like that sort of thing. Like we're not entitled. We're humble people. and We don't, again, even, even where we are right now, like you, you see me every week yeah. and you come up to this, you know, apartment, you know how I live in that stuff. Yep. I've been hiding this from like my Philadelphia life. Like people ask like, oh wait, Amir, why you still drive that rinky dink car? Like- <laughs> You've been driving this car since your second album. Like, what the hell? And my girlfriend's like, dude, you realize you own a six-figure Mercedes, right? Like, how come you never take that car to Philly? And my thing's, oh, I can never show them that because, you know, they'll think I changed and they'll think uh, I'm stuck up and they'll, they'll think I'm like Daddy Warbucks or that sort of thing. And, I, I, you know, like it was such a separation anxiety thing that I had that, you know, I was like, never wear clothes too nice. Mm. always make sure never so never go to a car wash so like, interesting right yeah. like i wow. i still in philly like I, I had to hide like 
any signs of success, keep my old homes, all those things. And it's like you're hiding in plain sight. And so basically, I'll, I'll just say that eventually I had to refurbish that list and start with I would like for me, blah, 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 blah. And it was, and then, you know, it was hard. Like I only got to 18. Can't think of, she's like, you, you can't think of 50 things that you want for yourself. You can only think of 18. Like it was that hard to, yeah. to feel entitled. So yeah, I, I had to work a lot last year in terms of wanting my heaven on earth right now, being entitled, <laughs> deserving to be happy. Yeah, I deserve things for me. I deserve, like, it, it, it always felt like I was going against that whole meek shall inherit the earth thing. So don't even get me started with colonial Christian teaching that sure. has, has yeah. us programmed to think to small yeah. and those sort of things. So I had to undo a lot of that. And it's, it's, it's very uncomfortable because, you know, I was yes. raised in a very extreme fire and brimstone you know, cross every T, dot every I. Getting up at church 7 a.m., oh. going to 4 p.m. Right. All <laughs> those one break. All those things, <laughs> all those things that I learned for like 49 years and just starting anew is it's, it's still, and you know, some, I still struggle with it a lot today, but at least I know that it's a struggle and I'm actively working on it. Well, it sounds to me like this process, which I, which I also do with other people is, you know, not to make a pun, a pun of it, but it really sounds like a quest for love, right? Uh, a quest for in, internal love. It it's is really what it is, right? It is. That's, that's maybe the, maybe, that's maybe the quest. I was smart enough to. <laughs> I was right. smart name enough to name that. myself that. Not, <laughs> even, not knowing, even knowing, right? Not even knowing. Absolutely. Well, one of the things I did want to want to ask you real quick, and then uh, we'll get into yes or BS. Mm-hmm. The answer to the question of how you came up with the name, and I'll tell you what I know. Mm-hmm. Initially, it was the brother question right? right and then the 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 people kept calling the um the journalist kept mark. calling you mark yeah and you're like all right that, that's, that, that right. doesn't work so you were like all right well what what quote-unquote rap name can i can i come up with right and ski love and rock were the sort of prevailing of the day right and then i heard you say in another interview some about tribe called quest so just 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 clear it, clarify it for once what where the name come from all right so basically in high school we were going through various names and Tariq would name us like, okay. Uh, you know, in the very beginning we were uh radioactivity and he was T metaphor and I was a sample and we got tired of that after four months. And then, you know, 1990, we became black to the future and he was, uh, he was Hawk smooth, which was hype African warrior kicking it smooth. Uh, and I was some, some weird moniker like divine technician on the drum set or something like that like dt dts sticks or something i don't know and then um when we became square roots at this point it's like okay we need three dancers so (laughs) we needed three dancers so it was like the roots and square root and and um he'd named uh initially the dancers names was a to z like one guy was an A name. Okay. The other guy was a Z name and two was just the middle. I think his name was Eric. Um, so when we became Square Roots, he gave us all new names and he gave Eric uh, a question mark. Huh. And, you know, I was like, wait, I'd rather have that name. I, I want to be the question mark person. Right, right. And he's like, no, you can't be that because you got to be divine technician on the drum set, you know, <laughs> <so> whatever. 
And so when, um, you know, when high school was over and all those guys went to college and we okay. got separated and it was just me and Tariq left in Philly. Yeah. I was just like, nah, man, I'm, I'm going to take that, uh, the question, question mark thing. I'm going to take that. And it didn't work. So they kept calling me Mark. And then I was like, all right, I, I chose the most pretentious, uh, acronym, like beat recycler of the rhythm. Yes. But brother. Yeah. Right. Brother. Right. And then people would say, Hey brother. And like, <laughs> so then by the third album, I was just like, all right, uh, I'm, I'm going to have a cool old school name. And there was a, a brother and sister in, uh, in school, William and Audrey love. Okay. But William was like, William was like the coolest dude in school. Like he, had like fresh Benetton and all that girl thought he was smooth and everything. Like, right. yeah, I'm William Love. And I was like, yo, that's a cool ass <laughs> name, William Love. But then like, you know, the human beatbox was named Buff Love and, you know, Run From Run DMC was Run Love. And I was like, all right, well, of course, Love sounds normal, whatever. Okay. But yeah, one night, one night after dinner, after dropping me off to my hotel, Q-Tip like stopped the car and backed up. He said, yo, man, can you, can you finally answer this for me? I was like, what? Did you name yourself after our group? I was like, no. <laughs> okay. It was like it was like a great poupon moment. Right, like he right. was like halfway down the block and like backed up, <laughs> rolled the window down. And then he asked that question. And it wasn't until like a day later. I was like, wait a minute. I called him back. I said, yo, did y'all think like I was a sociopath or a stalker? Like <laughs> I'm gonna name myself after which, you know. He's like, yo, you know, it was, it was kind of weird to us, but, you know, we said, I said, oh, man, y'all really thought I was a sociopath. Like, and I explained. And to this day, I still don't think he believes he me, believes. but he just like, oh, OK, yeah, sure. Sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But, so you um, just you just shortened question and put love on the end, basically. Yes. But yeah, I, I made it. the decision that got once it. and for all, I'm finally going to go back to what I initially wanted was just a question mark with no when are you gonna when are you gonna do that? Uh, you know, our, It'll our, happen our album will be finished. Or whenever uh, I, the one thing about Rich not being here and me and Tariq finally behind the wheel of our roots vehicle is that Rich knew when to lay the gauntlet down for okay, enough songs turning the record and yeah, yeah. I'm sort of the oh I can, I can improve on this song I can improve on this song and then like. We're still making the record four years later. So when the album, when Endgame comes out, uh, yes, I will return. Endgame, that's the title, huh? Is yeah. it really the Endgame? Is that it? Well, I mean, yeah. in terms of, you know, people think of Endgame as in it's over. But uh, I mean, for me, and it's weird, like when we named the tipping point, the tipping point, they thought we meant like, oh, this is the highest level we can go. But no, it's Endgame for me just sort of represents, is there ever a period at the end of the sentence. Is there ever a true ending? Like, is this what we asked for? And, you know, it's, it's unprecedented for a group 30 years into their existence to still be this strong. Like when I was growing up in 1977, I don't recall like the Mills brothers from 1947 being like, yo, it's our new shit. Like, oh damn, I got songs that keep like, do in the, remember in the Mills, right. In the Mills brothers, like, you know, usually yeah. groups only have, like the Beatles were only here for eight years. Yeah, 10 you know? year run. Yeah, 10, year 10 run to eight year. years. So yeah. it's just like, this is really unprecedented. So so it's really end game. Is it? Is there a such thing as an end game? It, it really should be right. end game with a question, question mark, mark at the end. Right. But, you know, it's just, it, we're, we're calling it end game. And really, and that was the, you know, Rich, 
Rich was even considered enough to leave us with three album titles. And so, you know, we, we chose Endgame. All right, let's jump into uh, yes or BS. I'm going to make a statement. Okay. And uh, you say yes or BS. Yes or BS. And if you want to go into why or why not, it's up to you. All right, here we go. Number one, mm-hmm. in hip hop, your story needs to be bigger than your talent. Okay, am I answering this? Uh, is it fact or do I personally believe that in my heart? Do you personally believe it in your heart? No, no, is it fact? Yeah, is, 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 that, is this the way it is? Evidence shows yes. Me personally, BS. Okay. Number two, there is no better pizza than Valducci's. You want to know something? Tell me. I'm not, for, 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 for such a guy who's been overweight and morbidly obese <laughs> in his life, I've not been a pizza guy, nor have I been a candy guy, mm-hmm. which is kind of a weird thing. Valducci's is the spot around the corner. Is that? Val, Valducci's. Valducci's? Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, yeah. They used to have a, a truck. Sometimes it would be by um, 30 Rock. So is that the spot that's like up the street in Chinatown? Yes. And all right, I tried their what grandma pizza once. Mm-hmm. It was cool. Look, pizza and pancakes was always like a reward in the household when I was a kid. Okay. Like when you get pancakes on a Saturday, that was like luxury. Like, oh wow, we get pancakes. You know, normally my my breakfast is like a tasty tasty cake oatmeal bar and. A, a hug uh, or a quarter water. That was my breakfast. Quarter waters. Wow. Yeah. No but like back. Saturdays, soul train, what? Mom's making pancakes? Like, it's like, oh, that got paid. Like, that was a treat. Same for pizza. When pizza would come on Saturday nights, like, but I, I don't know. Like, New York and Chicago with their, with their pizza wars, I don't get it. I'll say it's all right. But um, as far as like standing on the corner for it, not doing it. Yeah. Number three. Questlove's vaccinated food salons will be back in 2021. No doubt. All right. Looking forward to it. They might have never left. No, I'm playing. <laughs> no, 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 I'm playing. I'm playing. Yeah, a bu- bunch of people like, what are you talking about, <laughs> Number four, Just Blaze is a top three hip-hop producer of all time. Justin's a very good friend of mine. My personal tastes do not reflect the taste of everyday society. Mm-hmm. Just Blaze is definitely in my top ten. Okay. Okay. The reason I put this question in is I read this story. He was actually rec- recounting the story that you had heard a track of his. Yeah. And, and was like, hey, who played drums on that? He made me angry. <laughs> yes. He was like, uh, it was my fingers that right, played right. the drums. On he's it. making me very angry. Uh, no, he's, 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 he's definitely my, my, my the top 10. My top 10. Yes. All right, cool. Number, I think I'm on number five. Self-sabotage can be cured. Absolutely. Okay. Facts. Facts. Number six, Andy Warhol is like Pete Rock for painters. So Pete Rock's not Andy Warhol for beat makers? <laughs> <laughs> you could say that too. No, because I, I actually think that Andy Warhol's true gift is the same thing that Quincy is good at and the same thing that Kanye is good at. I believe that Andy and Quincy and Kanye, their their best gift is their Rolodex because all three have the ability to start movements and communities. Like Andy's best gift is basically discovering talent and all the painters that, you know, between Basquiat and what's his name with the, with the stick figures, Keith Herring and like, 
you know, any, any, anyone that's going through the, the, the Warhol factory, you know, from like Lou Reed, the Velvet Underground, all those things. He's, he's a gatherer of people and the same as uh, Quincy Jones, like the ability yeah. to do that. So in terms of Pete Rock, I, I would more or less con- compare Andy Warhol to the person that does that now in hip hop is Kanye. And it's no okay. shade, but, right. you know, basically Kanye's best gift is his, his reach his ability to call this producer or this songwriter or this artist to collab work on a song and that sort of thing. Number seven, mm-hmm. the Akai MPC drum machine produces a swing that is the closest to an actual drummer. Um, I, I will actually say, I mean, my personal weapon of choice is the, Yes, the Yukai MPC two, which is weird because two thousand, three thousand, the two thousand. Okay, yep. but the thing is, is that um, I'm I'm hypersensitive to anyone born after nineteen ninety five coming into my studio and clowning me for like they'll look at me like boomer, like <laughs> <laughs> you, you're still using that relic over there, and but you know I have to, I have to explain to them that. Um, you know, for me, limitations for an artist, limitations as far as their resources are concerned, in my opinion, that's the best thing for them. And you can always tell the paradigm shift from when the money starts rolling in and they upgrade. Mm-hmm. Great example. You know, Prince's best work was all those songs that he created in his bedroom. He once had a studio in his bedroom and then a studio in his basement. The second that he got super famous and took all that money and built Paisley Park and then purchased all the best things that mm. money could buy, yeah. then his sound changed. And now it sounded like a glossy studio, professionally done sort of thing. And like, I've missed that grit. And the same for the Wu-Tang Clan. All those, those, those first six initial Wu-Tang solo classic group records, they were all done in RZA's apartment in, in the Stapleton Projects. Mm. And then they got their advance. And then he's like, we're all going to LA. We're moving to Beverly Hills. We're going to record Wu-Tang Forever out there. And then they was partying, hanging, da, da, da. And it's like, it's me a little different than the first album. Yeah. And it's like, I, so I've, I've always had this thing where if I'm creating music, um, LL is world famous. LL uh, purchased uh, his grandmother's house in Queens on mm-hmm. Farmer's Boulevard. Whenever, even to this day, uh, when he's working on his record, I guess I can let the cat out the bag. Tip, Tip is working on LL's next joint, and I and you hear, heard it. I hear his bananas. Mm-hmm. Like this is, and I'm excited about it because I know Tip knows LL's true music zone and mm-hmm. what to bring. I don't think it's about like keeping up with people. And, and I wish artists wouldn't do that. Like trying to keep up with the Joneses and figure out like what's new. Mm-hmm. Like you'll see like Madonna doing that. Like, okay, I got to No, I think you go to your zone. I, I'm for artistic growth, but also you, you go to your zone and you just perfect and you hone it and you grow in that zone. Yeah. Like I'm not trying to do trap music because like, you know, to, to, to gain the respect of like, Migos. My girlfriend's nieces, right. nephews who are like 17, 18 year old, whatever. But, you know, LL to this day, 
still goes to his grandmom's basement to write wow. all of his lyrics wow. for every pro any creative project he does. Just writing. Wow. He has to go inside that basement to feel the same way he felt when he was working on radio. It's important. Yeah. And so that's why it's, it's funny if you follow LO's uh, Instagram, he's like trolling people because like, you know, wearing the mask, he, he rode on the train. Like he did a tour of New York. Like he, he's like posting himself on like the, the train in Queens, the train in Brooklyn, the train in Harlem, like hanging in, like teasing people, like people not knowing this is LO Cool J, like right next to you. Like, <laughs> yeah, here I am on the avenue. No one even knows, son. <laughs> like that sort of thing. And so, um, yeah, I, I, I just think that staying in a zone with limitations forces you as a creative to push the boundaries further yeah. and to innovate more. And I think, I always think the downfall of every musician is when they start booking themselves in these high-end studios that like Frank Sinatra recorded and they needed the, the wine and cheese spread and the, you know, yep. that's yep. when, that's when it's problems. Yeah, it reminds me of um, two of my favorite artists, Nas and R. Kelly. Now, you know, you know, mm -hmm. R. Kelly's got his legal issues. But I just, I remember, well, we'll talk about Nas first. I remember Illmatic listening to when I was in high school and just thinking, you know, this is crazy. Mm -hmm. And how successively each of his albums got less and less raw and gritty until Stillmatic, mm -hmm. right? Because he had gone through something crazy. His, his mom had died. Right. And then he was being attacked by Jay. So then he went that somewhere. That forced him to go. Right. Out somewhere in like either upstate New York or maybe I'm wrong, but he went somewhere secluded mm -hmm. in a house with just a producer mm -hmm. and, and did a, and did another classic right. still, and Stillmatic. So right. you know, to your point, it, it's uh, it's important to really take it back to the roots. All right. Last last one of the yes or BS here. Number eight, black thought. Now, now, before I say this question, if it's a little too confusing, I'll explain it, but I'll see if you get what I'm where I'm going with this. Mm -hmm. Black thought is too good. To be great. Yeah, I, I think he's too good to be great. I think he's astounding. Yeah. But it's also like, who was I trying to explain this to? This is a flex, but I, I got to get. Flex. I, I got to get. Humble this flex. Is, Humble flex. <laughs> this is not <laughs> <laughs> No, so, that, you know, I started up a, my friendship with Janet Jackson, and I was trying to explain to her that sometimes, I was, I, I forget the example I was using, but I was saying that basically, it's almost like it's 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 almost like with bread, like no one ever mentions bread as their top three food of all time. Mm. Like you'll be hard pressed to find someone that says, uh, "I love uh, bread, water, and peanut butter, Captain Crunch." Those are my three <laughs> favorite things. Like no one ever says that. But it's sort of like when you take bread out the equation. Oh man, you're ready to kill somebody. Yeah. <laughs> for some... What's this lettuce on my right. my, my hamburger? Right. What's going on here? You just you just never it it's almost like it, it's something so essential. And that's the thing. Like what I've learned in pandemic is my mind state now that we are I mean as of this recording, you know, we're in the very early stages of what I think we've been trying to call hashtag the new normal. These are the very slow steps out of that. Mm -hmm. And it's to the point now where I see even, I see and appreciate even the smallest things on the same level that I would like a future trip to Maui for vacation or, you know, something that you really look for or seeing this concert or seeing Prince perform again, that sort of thing. It's like now 
man, like I'm just taking the trolley from my grandmom's house to to downtown mm-hmm. uh, for Mother's Day. I went, you know, visit my mom in Philly, and you know, we were walking on a, we were walking to like a Macy's on Chestnut Street. And I like really felt like felt choked up. Like wow, I, I really missed this. Like I haven't yeah. I haven't walked down this block since I was in the eighth grade and seeing like it's just like the smallest things you appreciate. And so kind of with Tariq, Tariq is definitely, when people ask all the time, my guess is that, you know, Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000 hour thing is is very real. real. Yeah, it's real. It's very real. I'm pressed to say that, you know, we're probably going through our 60,000th hour cycle now. And, you know, people ask all the time, like, you know, was it something in the water? And da, 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 da. And at the end of the day, he he goes to the gym every day. I consider like us doing Fallon. Those two hours of recording Fallon every day is basically the roots just rehearsing with each other yeah. and being a well-oiled machine. And oftentimes, like when you have acts that are like red hot and then it stops and then now they only do spot dates here and there and occasionally, yeah. you know, do other things to get older, they stop going to the gym. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's how you have to figure it. Like, basically, Tariq goes to the gym every day. He writes every day. And, and he's, he's vigilant about it. Like, he wakes up every morning at 5 a.m. He sits in his office. He'll meditate for an hour. Usually from, like, 5 to 9 a.m., that's his four hours of when the ideas come to him. That's his, mm-hmm. his alpha thing. Qu- Quincy Jones has a, a theory about um, how nighttime affects the 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 alpha state of your brain. So, you know, Tariq's one of the people that has to sleep at 10 a.m., 10 p.m. Mm-hmm. and do eight to 10 hours of sleep a night. And then when he wakes up at 4.30 or 5 in the morning, that's when all the ideas come to him. And then he just starts writing like a maniac. So, mm-hmm. um, no, no, he's, he's, he's beyond that. I think post, post-Funk Master Flex Freestyle, yep. which was really 20 years in the making, Right, right. Because you talk about how when you guys used to do those corner shows, he was basically freestyling yeah. all the time then, right? So yeah. he, it's something that had been practiced he, all the way up to he's that been point. Waiting, he's been waiting for that invite since 1993. Wow. And, you know, it's sort of, it's, it, it took that long. And, you know, based on the response to it, a lot of people, I don't want to embarrass them about it, but they, they're basically like, oh, he wasn't corny. I think a lot of times people just see me as the mouthpiece. <laughs> right. No, people see me as the mouthpiece and think like, oh, the roots are a bunch of just hippie, you know, crock, Birkenstock wearing alternative hip hop, like not real hip hop or whatever. You ain't crocs right now. Dude, I'm <laughs> I'm manifested. <laughs> I'm going for comfort. I love I crocs to death. You. Go ahead. Yes. My feet are happy. <laughs> Come on. You're not tired. You wear Jordans. You wear Jordan threes all the time, yo. I, I wear crocs. Your feet aren't I wear crocs at home. Oh, yeah, yeah but not in the public. <laughs> Uh uh-uh, man. Uh I I got a legion, I got a legion of followers, man. I'm I'm changing. I'm telling you, man, like we don't have to suffer. I'm sorry, I'm just yeah. tired of I'm the guy that like Jordan after Jordan. All my Jordans are just like art pieces on the wall, man. Because mm-hmm. my feet are killing me at the end yeah. of the day. And I'm just tired of killing myself just to like just to brag, like, uh-huh. These is four thousand dollar Jordans. You will never right. afford, son. No. Nope. Right. My life is now forty dollar plastic shoes. Thank you. <laughs> Take a sip. I'm gonna make this cool too. Right. The re the reason I uh, put that in there was because I remember you telling a story about 
basically at a point in Tariq's career, you were trying to get him a little bit more, you know, not buzz, but some more features. Mm-hmm. And you were basically told by an executive that, you know, he's better than these an executive. guys. executive? You mean Jay-Z? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, I, I, I learned early. All right. So there's... there's, there's I was trying to keep... An executive. No, that may sound like a stuffy guy in a suit. No, just say it, Jay-Z. No, there, there's a rite of passage for every black man that gets out of prison. That book's called The 48 Laws of Power. Yes. So yes. every yeah. every black person reads that book at one point or another. At least they know the first 10 laws. Yeah. And rule number one is that you just never, never outshine, outshine the, the master. master. Yeah. And so I don't know if I yeah. pre-programmed myself to dim my shine just as a means to kind of spook that sat by the door, kind of like ease my way into a thing. I think, and I'm not the same with black people, a lot of times, and you see it a lot, especially in this election cycle, and you see it. Um, with a response to doctors, there's really an anti-intellectualism movement happening in America, which is very high school. You know, it's like the cool jocks or the dweeb, the dweeb nerds that's like in trigonometry 101 that's smarter than you. Like the jocks versus the, the, the trigonometry nerds and they never hang with each other or none of those things. And it's, it's like a lot of times the jocks are just dismissive like, even though they know that the nerd knows more than they do, <laughs> right. it's like, more, well, I don't they care. Have more facts, I'm right. still going to toss you in the trash, nerd. <laughs> and so just a lot of times, anything that comes too smart or whatever. And, you know, in the beginning, I tried to suppress that, like, kind of like the cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs thing. Like, yeah. and Rich also warned me of that, too. Like, I know you want to do this. I'm the smartest guy in the room thing. But, like, fall back a little bit. Like, don't don't do it so much because... You know, you could draw more bees with honey than than not. Yeah. And I thought, okay, not to do that. But I mean, Reek's a guy that just, you know, he made a decision to not dumb his art down or dumb his words down or any of those things. So, yeah, I've heard a lot of cats. Like one time I heard uh, I heard Run on Hot 97 kind of sneak a, no, we're, we're, we're down with Run. Absolutely. But. They were asking Ron like like about new hip hop and whatnot. That's mm-hmm. weird. Like at one point, Roots were a new hip hop group. You know that. So right. what do you think about these yeah. new artists out now? And he was just like, ah oh, man, you know, he's you know cats like you know Cool Keith and the Roots using like all these big words and whatnot. Like nah <laughs> man, like nah man, just be normal. You know that sort of thing. And <laughs> I get where he's coming from, like to be relatable. But I think we're all we're all learning these lessons now. So I know for me, this will be the first Roots album. That I made without Rich at the helm. Yeah. And this is also the first Roots album. We haven't made an album in seven years. And on top of that, I will say that I probably have clocked in more DJ hours. Yeah. More can't ignore the science of DJing hours in those seven years. So the, the common denominator with a lot of the great producers that we like today is that they're all DJs. Jimmy Jam yep. was a DJ before he joined the time and all those things. So there's, there's an awareness he has about like crowd response and what they move to. The funniest story is Dr. Dre. Um, he, he said that, you know, what made him a better producer was the fact that the clubs he would DJ, he was like, there was, there was literally 
no room for any mistake whatsoever. And Dre was the kind of guy that would like back in the day do like these crazy experiments where he would spin like the Marvelettes, uh, please Mr. Postman with like planet rock or like he would mix like I feel good by James Brown with like uh, play at your own risk by planet patrol and that like experiments that we take it for granted now. But back then it was like, what the hell is he doing? That's, that's crazy. But he would say that, you know, he would do these experiments fully knowing one mistake. I mean, the record could skip, could be whatever, not his fault or whatever. Someone, then they would shoot the club up. So mm. he was like, he was hyper aware that you couldn't even think of playing the wrong song at the spots he was spinning at in, in South Central Los Angeles because they would shoot the DJ. Wow. The fights would break out wow. if you play the wrong song. So every song has to mean something to them. So that's why Dr. Dre is even more hyper-aware as a producer of what works. Because when you're creating under that sort of tyranny, yeah. it does something to your creative juices. And so, you know, I'm just saying that to say that the, the amount of DJing that I did, when Rich died, I didn't want to make any more Roots records. So I'd like put all my eggs into the DJ basket. Mm -hmm. And so I've, I've definitely done like 30,000 hours of DJing since 2014. So this will be the first time that I'm creating music fully knowing something. It's almost like eating the, the, the apple from the Garden of Eden. Like I know now. Yeah. And it's not like, yeah. it's not from a naive place where it's just like, oh, this, this will be cool. Or like, I don't, I don't care if they don't get it. I like that sort of yeah. thing. And yeah. it's not to say that I'm compromising my personal Integrity. taste to please people. Yeah. But there's, there's an education that I now know that I can't ignore now. So this is going to be a very different. Have you started yet? Oh, we're, we're like at the, the end. We're, we're in. Okay. We're at the end. I'm just uh, one of those can't leave any idea behind type person. So I, I already got the, 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 the warning shot that, you know, by June 1st to not create anything else for this record and just turn it in. So <laughs> right. you'll, you'll have a Roots album by fall. All right. Dope. All right, brother. Thank I you. appreciate you. Before we get out of here, just tell the folks a little bit about your new book coming out, Music is History, and then uh, how they can connect with you. Yeah, Music is History is my sixth book. That will be out in October. My directorial debut, uh, Summer of Soul, or When the Revolution Could Not Be Televised, uh, will be in theaters. And drive-ins, a lot of drive-ins, a lot of pop-up. We're, we're going to do a lot of special one-off uh, screenings of this in, in parks and whatnot. Maybe some musical elements as well. Who, yeah. who knows? Um, that's all July 2nd, also on Hulu. And I'm certain there's 42 other things that I'm involved <laughs> with that I totally forgot 14 about. 14 jobs. Yeah. No, no. I, I, I wound it down to a very normal six. Okay. Yeah. Six okay. jobs. Only six, not 19. All yeah. right. Amir, I appreciate you. Doc, thank, thank you, you so much. I usually close out by saying the truth will set you free if you let it. Today, I think it's apropos. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spit something that is, uh, I think, really encapsulates you and encapsulates your life, mm -hmm. written by someone that you're very close to. I am a walking affirmation that imagination, focus, and patience gets you closer to your aspiration. And just because they give you shit don't mean you have to take it. My words capture greatness, sworn affidavit. There you Appreciate go. you, brother. Appreciate One you love. too, Doc. Thank you. One love. One right. love. We out.